Hello, everyone, and welcome to lucky number 13th episode of Relating to DevSecOps, where we jump into the development, security, and operational issues of today with representation from different disciplines, professions, and specialties so we can solve real-world problems with people that actually face them. Now, we had a great conversation with our first, very first guest, Jen Molino, last time, if you haven't caught up. And I won't speak for these guys, but I, you know, I think it was a pretty good one, in my opinion. You know, we finally got someone else, someone else's opinion on the show. And that really highlights, you know, how our different industries can work better together and everything. So check out episode 12 um, if you are interested in that from a communication perspective. Uh, but this time around, we're going to dive a bit deeper into a common security vulnerability, cross-site scripting, specifically how we defend against it. Uh, but we thought it would be a good idea to just go live with this one because Simon and I discussed this previously. And one of the things that came up was just this general defense of common security vulnerabilities and specifics around it, how it's implemented in different languages and frameworks. And it sort of turned into this thing of, you know, what's lacking or not inside of these frameworks and languages uh, and, you know, where they're implemented and so on and so forth. So um, really, Simon, you know, I just want to turn it over to you about like what's your take on XSS or cross-site scripting, you know, why it's still a problem or what you feel like you have today or don't have today to make it this non-existent issue, you know, something that we've been hearing about over and over and over again. Yeah, sounds great. Um, I, I really love the original conversation we had about this. And I think the, you know, the outcome of it was don't treat security as a, you know, binary problem. Um, there's a gray area of when you want to implement certain things. And I did a little bit of digging. I started, you know, looking into what libraries are available, um, you know, what sort of problems you should be looking at in terms of, uh, you know, what sort of XSS issues you have. And the the big thing that I wanted to talk about is a lot of these make sense, and I think we we talked about you know one size does not fit all. Your application might uh, need a certain level of um, standardization um, depending on, on what you're trying to do. But you know, looking at some of the examples, I really feel like the the reason why we can't have these out of the box in certain languages or frameworks is sometimes just because they uh, they're trying to remediate something that honestly I think a product engineer did. And an example that that I'll give is. Um, you know, a lot, a lot of, um, you know, one specific example is, is CSS. Um, you know, you've got, you can have kind of inline CSS, you can have it loaded from somewhere else. And uh, having to sanitize that seems backwards to me because I feel like that's that's an anti-pattern in development. You know, I for me, your CSS should already be isolated. It should be probably in its own file. It should be, uh, you know, it's a style for a reason, right? You want to reuse that. So having it inline, having it, you know, loaded from all the me these messy places seems like the original problem. So. I'm curious, at least from that specific example and other ones, you know, for that, like for that, you know, for that context, why do you think that decision was made to be uh, treated as a vulnerability and, and, and okay to have rather than something out of the box that maybe we're, we're you know, putting the hammer down on? Um, what do you mean by like uh, treated as a, as a vulnerability for CSS? Just like, why we're loading CSS externally or why inline is allowed. Like, yeah, sure why, why inline is allowed. I understand, you know, it's a nice to have, maybe you're, you know, testing something out, but to me, that's, that's the sign of, a, of, of bad engineering. That's like, that's a bad practice to be doing. So I feel like we've, just, we've chosen to um, watch out for that as a bad actor rather than saying, 
this language shouldn't be be supporting this, um, or you know, we just shouldn't let um, someone do this as a as a standard practice of dealing with CSS. Yeah, I mean, I think that so CSS is this is like a potential cross site scripting vector. Right. I don't know how common it is, but it is fun when you can find something like that. Like there are areas where you are, uh, you know, able to inject. Um, code or at least make a call out with a url through css and try to get some information in that way from a data exfiltration perspective for sure um, but i think that what you're talking about also applies to you know more direct routes to cross-site scripting like inline javascript or javascript files and a lot of this is now i mean the the big push is to cover that with csp right get everything mm -hmm. out of inline uh, move it to an externalized file and then control that with your content security policy. I think where you see these manifest most often, especially inline CSS or inline JavaScript, is when you don't necessarily have that control over you know, UI development or what goes into the HTML page. And that's where you get those inline components where you're not really reviewing that as part of code review because you you know you get that argument is is uh you know it's not html source code it's it's html source right <laughs> it's not code and you you get that argument all the time but in reality like there is code in there right there's there's inline scripts there you know the tagging language and all of that you know makes a makes a considerable difference and so, you know, I, I think that, yes, you want to externalize everything, but it's this balance of crippling what your development teams or your engineering teams want to do, what, what the UI team wants to do, if they want to change something quickly or not. Yes, sure. Um, let me ask you this. Are all of the HTML pages that are generated for you and your on your static sites or in, you know, where you've been previously do you think that they are all traveling through source code with the same level of peer review that you would have on something that is in a controller absolutely not um <laughs> if we're talking about html pages and front end and and you know javascript i've i frankly have never seen like a really robust review cycle unless you have a team dedicated for front end um i mean <laughs> who wants to read a css style sheet in a peer review who wants to read uh, you know, HTML, it's, it's a pain. Um, you're, you're, you're literally reading structure. Um, honestly, the most common way of review I've seen is through screenshots. Can you show me that something rendered good enough for me? Let's move on. Um, so yeah, I, I agree. I mean, it's tough with HTML and it's tough with JavaScript because it's so much, it's, it's a weird specific form of development where you're tweaking things and you're, you're, you know, modifying things. So I, I, I can understand that we want to have a few, you know, maybe evil entryways to get something out and test something out quickly, but I'm still torn because it, it's, it does seem still like an anti-pattern to me. It seems like something that really should be in development only um, and shouldn't make it to production, but we don't have the the review to, to do that. So I, I think a lot of things that really shouldn't be end up in production. And, and that's, I think, where you get so many vulnerabilities popping up what you were saying what should be in development only just you know some of these some of these examples you know inline javascript inline css uh 
it to me it at least it, it just proves her really hard to read code um it's great at the time when you're trying something out you know if you're trying to figure out how to get that table to size just right or that that data to load or something to pop up or that functionality to happen it, i mean it's a pain <laughs> i'm not the biggest fan of front-end development so that local development piece is useful but you need to do that cleanup once you're in a good state um like i don't think it's an excuse to just call that call that a day yeah i mean I, you sort of need front-end development for front-end <laughs> applications though so you yeah. can't you know it's there's uh, or applications with a ui so i you know you have to have that for sure um but inline JavaScript, as you say, you know, it's not just someone saying like on mouse over, go do this thing, which, you know, you do see. It's also loading external JavaScript files. So you think about your Google Tag Managers, your, you know, Google Analytics, uh, all of these external libraries that you're bringing into the front end to, you know, tracking cookies or any of these things. Those are also things that the front end team is probably controlling. So you know, you have to consider that those front-end teams should be going through the same development process or the same pipeline as a back-end development team. And they have to go through the same sorts of peer reviews and code reviews and security reviews that a back-end team would. Um, and then you as a, you know, you say the back-end piece, like you're going to be sending things to the front-end. So how do you send that securely? Yeah, I mean, you're going to have to do the same thing on the back end. I, again, I think it's easier on the back end. It makes more sense. Like, you're not doing all this weird, like, loading and injection and stuff. You have, hopefully, a reasonable object structure that you're dealing with. You know, it could be a string or something. And, and you should know, from a, a back end perspective, what type of data that is and how you can respond to it. And as, like, as a proactive engineer and trying to have security in mind, the frameworks are there to do that easily on the on the on the back end to me. And I think it's a no-brainer. You can annotate stuff and move on. It's so easy to to convolute front end code. And like you said, your JavaScript can be loading from you know God knows where. Uh, it could be doing God knows what. It could be changing. You know, you don't have you know strong types and things just get so much messier. So I think the back end's fine to me. Um, that that's somewhere where I, I think the standardization doesn't need to be out of the box. It's something that's, to me, easier to understand. So uh, you say that it's like it's easy to bring in or to, to defend backend code from something like cross-site scripting. My question to you would be, as you're, as you're bringing data into the backend, how do you determine how to defend that from cross-site scripting today? Honestly, most of the time we don't, <laughs> I'll be honest. Uh, when we do, I, I mean, you just look at the type of data you're dealing with. It depends on your application. Are you dealing with uh, just like description text? Are you dealing with, um, you know, data, numbers, money, uh, addresses? It all depends on where it's coming from. Um, granted, I like going one level up, like that's usually as far as I will honestly think um, to cover it. I, I, I try to get myself out of this habit of it's back end, you know, it's going to be the last thing to get hit. So you probably don't need to think about like anything further than that, because you're thinking the Lex, the next layer, Lex layer up will cover you. Um, and I, I'm, I still struggle with that a hundred percent. Right. So I think you said something in, in important there and you, you were thinking through 
like something I think is really important to to think through from a um, how do I defend this threat modeling maybe perspective, mm-hmm. which is, you know, what's the context of the data that's coming in? Like what kind of data am I handling? And so I'll use a common example, something like social security numbers. So when that data comes in, your initial thought or my initial thought is social security numbers are uh, numerical values, right? And so when they come in, your initial thought should be, okay, I want to type that as numeric when it comes in. But obviously you might have someone enter a social security number with a hyphen. You might, you know, the front end has a way that they are taking that data in. And the way that they consume that data on the front end as an input determines how you receive it on the back end and how you have to defend it. If you can be guaranteed that that social security number is always going to come through as a numerical value, then you can defend within the context of that as a strongly typed numerical value in Java. And that means that you're not going to get any special characters because you'll get a type error, right? Right. But if the front end is saying, well, you know, we have to determine how we consume different entries of this number, hyphens or no hyphens or spaces or whatever it might be, you know, whose responsibility is it to handle that discrepancy in the type of data, even though the final persisted value may always be numeric? I mean, this is one of those situations where I too think it should be out of the box. If you're if you're typing both at the front end and the back end, and you're saying this isn't this is a numeric, um, like why why can't that just be a standard? Well, that's that's what I'm saying is that it's it's not because from an implementation perspective, from a UI UX perspective, I want to be able to you know going back to our conversation with Jen, as a user, I want to be able to enter my social security number in the format that I'm used to seeing it in. Which means that if my social security number is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, I should be able to type one, two, three, dash, four, five, dash, you know, or I can type one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. I can type one, two, three, space, four, five, space, six, seven, eight, nine. And so the front end is saying, all right, well, we have to consume all these types of data. And so we're going to send it to you as a string value. Or we're going to consume all these types of data. We're going to, you know, crunch that number into a, a numerical value, convert it on the front end, and then send it to you as a numerical value. That is a product decision. It's not a security decision. Very true. Very true. Um, in that specific example, um, again, I, I just keep going back to it's the front end's responsibility. I when I think of a back end server, I think it should be not necessarily user friendly. So to me, like a backend out of the box, it only takes numbers. You're, you know, long story short, you're dealing with a number. How the user perceives that and how they get to interact with it uh, should be a UX problem. As a product UX problem, how do you want us to handle this? What sort of options do you want to give us the user? So JavaScript, take it away. <laughs> right. But I mean, I think that who you're arguing with in that scenario is your front end engineering team. Yes. Not security. You're not saying, hey, security, it's their responsibility. And they're saying, no, it's their responsibility. You guys are arguing with each other. And then whatever comes out of that, security can help you handle, which is why 
what's provided is, as guidance is you can strongly type it. Uh, but if you don't strongly type it, then you know you can use one of these encoding libraries, or you can use one of these sanitizing libraries to sanitize that data as it comes in, or you can convert it when it comes in. But security has to be malleable to the business, so you need to defend when that when that data comes in on the back end, or maybe you handle it, you know, before it even hits. And how we approach that is why, like, you can't blanket say it should just be included out of the box. Because if you, if you try to consider all those product scenarios and maybe security says, you know what, it's always going to hit as a numerical value. So anytime numbers come through the pipeline, they're going to be numerical. If we made that sort of gated decision at the language level, at the framework level, you wouldn't use that language or you wouldn't use that framework because you don't have the ability to do what you want to do to deliver your product. Yeah, and and that's where I feel like we could really uh, have cross effort between security and product engineering. I, I think, I and mean, this is purely an assumption, but I assume a lot of engineers don't want to deal with this because the libraries that are offered will do everything you need them to do, but they're not at a, they're, they're not at the product descriptive level, right? So it's, I'll help you handle numbers. I'll help you handle maybe words. I'll help you handle this, but Mapping that to business need, I think, is something that like a shared library would be really useful. So you sit with a security engineer and you break down your data from a product. So we're going to be dealing with social security numbers. We're dealing with usernames. We're dealing with emails. Um, do you have guidance or suggestions on what we should be using? So maybe we can build this together. And then you know, when it comes to actually integrating this and I want to deliver fast, I want to launch front end fast, I can just use this library and say, cool, we covered our five data points. We have all this user information. Everything is sanitized and we can keep going. You're right. I mean, I think that's how we approach it now, right? Is Or what we're trying to say is um, you know, where this sort of conversation came up was security is providing guidance or we provide standards or there's a there's education or whatever it might be and i think the the tipping point that we reached was cross site scripting is found so often why are we doing this through education and uh and all of these things and standards and policies at the organization level when it looks like some of these things should be handled at the framework or the language level right so I think it's too nuanced though, right? Like there are certain applications where you're, it's almost like you would want the ability to, to embed those things, right? Like the one that I'm thinking of just because I think it's the largest XXS uh, um, vector is WordPress, right? Like, so any of your content management systems, your wikis, like those situations, I need my users to be able to, I guess in, in certain cases in WordPress, I mean, um, I need my users able to embed HTML, right? So I, I don't think you can just blanket say, you know, we should handle this at the language level because then you would language uh, preclude that language from uh, specific applications. So I think that the there is a lot of nuance to it and there's ways you could potentially abstract that, but it, it is so nuanced in such a a weird uh, edge case at times, I think you do need to handle it at the, um, like at the individual, you know, uh, use case layer. Right. I mean, I, I agree. So the, I think the question is, is like, Simon, are we convincing you <laughs> that these things can't be solved at the language or, um, you know, uh, framework level in every single case? Uh, and then the question that, to follow that up would be, you know, what what is it that you feel like you should be able to solve there or that you don't have a library for that we can 
shed light on in this episode. <laughs> you've you've definitely convinced me. Yes, uh, out of the box is not something that we can really do here. Um, it, I mean, to answer your question, in terms of things I could get help on, I I don't think it's it's you know, hey, I don't know how to uh, deal with X. I just don't think we're having that conversation as much as we should. Um, we I think we've covered this. We've touched this on so many episodes. Is we we need to have more security communication early on because especially with with front end development you, you're just going to dig yourself such a large hole um and i mean to jameson's point i'm not even sure i guess that's my question from a security perspective i'm not really sure how you handle situations like wordpress because i agree that you need to inject html you need to have that user be able to customize things and do things their own way but how do you control that because you know if you're looking at content management systems for sites Typically, you're doing that because you might not have the development experience. You don't want to spin up your own site. So I think security, especially for them, will be the last thing on their mind. So what what sort of things you, can you do from that perspective to help uh, protect those sites? Sure. I mean, so when you look at, all right, I want to I want to look at like a WYSIWYG editor or something, and I want to provide my users with the ability to um implement some sort of html or send some sort of html there the project that exists in owasp for this is the owasp html sanitizer and it's not necessarily easy to use but if you were going to look at something like this i think i don't know if anti sammy does this or not but these are the types of things that you would look at it's policy based so it's used when you need to accept like HTML content, maybe like bold or italicize or something along those lines within these WYSIWYG editors. And so then you create a policy that specifies what you allow from an HTML tagging perspective. And then you run a sanitized method against all of the untrusted HTML that you're consuming against that when you take it in as input. And this is where it goes to the back end, right? It sanitizes that data before it gets to the back end. And so you consider that, you know, quote unquote, safe data after it's been through this sanitization process. But you need to work with security teams and security teams need to work with product teams to understand what are, uh, what is allowed content so that when you get to a script tag, this sanitizer knows that it's not bold, it's not italicized, it's not font size or whatever it might be when it's coming in. Gotcha. So kind of like meta sanitization where as a product engineer, I'm thinking, how do I make this only bold? You're bringing it to the next level of saying, okay, how do I let people only use this functionality? Right. And it's, it's like, and so you're developing a policy. So security is working with the product team to develop a policy of what's allowed. And there needs to go through, there needs to be some risk acceptance there, where that data goes, what kind of data um, is allowed there, where it's stored, all that kind of thing to help prevent against cross-site scripting. Now, when it is generated and rendered on the other side, you know, you have to understand that, you know, that's where you might use the HTML safe method. So one of the things that we, so I think it was, I think it was either Rails or Ruby, um, where 
you had the idea of an HTML safe. There's an HTML safe method. And there was a misconception around whether that meant, okay, if I put anything into this method, maybe I didn't check the documentation. I'm assuming it's going to clean that for me. But what it means is that I know that this is HTML safe, meaning I can render to HTML in the view and that it's going, and I've, I've already sanitized it. So in theory, what you would do is run it through the sanitization process, and then you could render that on the front end with an HTML safe method. And then you've, since you've already sanitized it on the back end, now you're presenting to the front end, which goes to answer your question of like, where does the back end team come into play when it's cross-site scripting attacks? It's, it's in those types of scenarios where the front end team has to be like super uh, competent that this data that's coming in is being rendered as clean HTML. Makes sense. Uh, like jQuery was like this as well, right? So jQuery, you have the .html method or function, and that just basically regurgitates, you know, the whole thing to render because that's what jQuery is used for, right? You're dynamically generating these HTML pages, um, and the .text method uh, or function, um, you know, is going to do the same thing, uh, except it's going to um, it's going to escape those HTML values. So you have these two different methods in, in jQuery that are, that are used um, from a, maybe not unknowledgeable, but just from someone that's maybe just getting into jQuery, they look at like how to render a page. They're just gonna use that .html function and it's gonna render to the page. And so they're not, it's not prepared to clean that data. Um, and they're what is like the general accepted thing is that it's going to be safe to be rendered when you're using that HTML method. So in an enterprise application, if you have somebody that's been using HTML, 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 jQuery, and then they get unsafe values, you know, that's where your attacks come in. And that's why they're so prevalent is because it's just, you know, muscle memory of what I use when I want to generate pages. I'm not thinking about the context of the data that's coming to me. Yeah, and then, yeah, unless you deep dive and look up that documentation, you probably will never know that that's a risk that you're you're unconsciously taking. Uh, I feel like that's almost something that should be logged instead of standardizing. Uh, you know, log to warn when you're dealing with you know unsafe uh, practices on the front end. Yeah, and you know, I mean, I think that what it what it comes down to and it is a deep understanding of the context of where you are for your defense because and we we talk about it i think part of the problem that you're seeing is like why isn't this a standard it's because it's hard to go and inventory all of the types of data you're throwing back and forth between the front end and the back end but in order to properly defend against cross-site scripting, you really need to understand that. You need to know like where am I sending specific types of data and how it's being rendered so that when I send that data, I know how to I know how it gets there, I know what context it's going to be in, whether it's going to be rendered in JavaScript, rendered in HTML, rendered in CSS. Those are all really important. And so the security approach is we're going to try to we're trying as an industry to develop tools that make that as easy as possible from the encoding perspective and the sanitization perspective so that if we're going to the front end team, we're saying, okay, if you're sending this to HTML, here's 
the, and you know, there's a project, the OWASP Java encoder project. Here's a way, all you have to do is take this method and you say, you know, it's going to HTML, you put the untrusted data in there and it's going to encode all of the, you know, all of the HTML. If it's going to JavaScript, you know, encode as JavaScript. If it's going into an HTML attribute, encode as an HTML attribute. But that requires an understanding of, you know, from the front end team and from the back end team, what is the context of that data? And I think that's where we have the biggest problem is like, how do we, how do we inventory that data transition or data communication effectively on a day-to-day -day basis to ensure that the front end teams and the back end teams know where their data is going. And then once it gets there, how they can protect it. Yeah. And, and if you, if you were to go the other way and, and enforce everything and limit everything, you're ultimately at the end of the day, just ruining your user's experience. I, all I can think of is that, that web page of the, you can enter in a phone number and it's nine separate digit dropdowns that you have to pick from, which is, ba is basically where we would be. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, like you could control it from the user side, you know, make sure that they enter the data that you want. And then you know that that data is going to go all the way to the back and come out the other side in the same way. Yeah. Um, and that's just the, that's just the numerics. I mean, you think about how many times you enter your address in a free form text field. You know, I mean, you've got commas, you've got all kinds of letters, you have to preserve case, you have to, um, you know, have punctuation in some of those. And then if you get international, you know, that can go in a million different directions as well. And we're supposed to parse through all that data, understand it, and then being able to re regurgitate that back to, uh, to the end user. And there's always like all these different ways, depending on like how that data eventually gets populated in the next page that you can, that you can manipulate that even without, you know, your standard, um, your standard tag closures. So I think it's important to under, I think that when you, you have to know that source and sync, uh, for, for where that data is going in order to properly defend against cross-site scripting, which is why it's not a blanket thing. You know, we have all of these types of data that we take from all these different areas um, for a, a billion different use cases, depending on what you want to talk about, how you want to present it and how creative you want to get. So it's it's sort of like security within this realm of creativity. How do we enable engineering teams, you know, provide them with the tools to do this? And I think that what OWASP tries to do is develop these tools to like get as far ahead as we can until we start limiting engineering team's ability to execute on their, you know, on what they want to do. No, I, I, I that's just nail on the head. I, I think you got it. Um, security has given us uh, free reign and given us the ability to develop quickly in these tools. And it's, it's on us to realize that that comes with limitations because again, I'll, I'll, I'll do it again. The, the user experience is, is the, the, the one affected if we had chosen to standardize. Yeah, for sure. Now, I mean, maybe we could shift gears a little bit um, and talk about, uh, you know, cross-site scripting defense at the edge. I mean, is there anything, because you had mentioned, you know, a previous conversation around the HTTP only flag for cookies um, and how that can be standardized or, or worked through. And I think that you definitely can. And that's where all of these standards come out from Mozilla and whatever, 
you know, content security policy and your cookie flags and all of that or try to protect things at the edge that manifest there. But, you know, we have to be reasonably confident that it doesn't uh, affect anything beyond that. Yeah, I, I feel like that probably at some way, shape or form breaches the the context territory again. Uh, we, you have to know what, what your systems are doing and what they need to, to perform. So um, unless you disagree, I feel like that probably couldn't be standardized either. Well, no, I, I'm saying I think they can be standardized, right? I think that this is the opposite side of the of the argument is that you have, um, so with your cookie flags, when you're talking about cross-site scripting, like the, the reason that that exists is so that we can't send that cookie value off through JavaScript without, you know, without knowing it. So we use that for things like session cookies because the attack was, well, I'll take your session cookie and I'll toss it to another site through JavaScript. And that cross-site scripting attack is what, allowed someone else to take over a session down the road. I think that can be standardized. I think that you understand that at a certain point, once the session cookie goes to an end user and that they're using that and repeatedly playing that back to the application or using that within the application, that you probably don't want it to be sent over JavaScript and that there's a fundamentally accepted thing in the industry that we've gotten to where we say, okay, we're not going to transmit cookies over JavaScript because the risk is too great for us to do that. Um, you know, it, protecting it at this level is better for the user. And I think that those discussions need to be open. So if you have, you know, ideas about how we can approach that, with within the context of cross-site scripting elsewhere, you know, I think that's what we're trying to get to is like, what else can we standardize in these frameworks that you're just like, you know what? I don't, I don't really understand why we have to implement this at the front end or implement this at the back end. I think like we could take care of this at the edge. And then I'm hoping Jameson will have an argument about, you know, why you can't deal with it at the edge. I, I mean, of course, like, like, a lot of things you could deal with it there. And I think there are some things that are kind of block and tackle that almost like just layering on um, just in case, because I, I, I guess one thing that I've been quietly stewing over over here is like the idea that this is not a, this is not a backend problem. This is a front end problem. Right. And like, <laughs> in your kind of modern era of, of like single page applications, I, I just don't know that argument works anymore. I don't know that you can shift that burden because I don't think you like, while you can anticipate, yeah, my front end might be this, you know, SPA app that my front end team created, but you can't really control who else is hitting your API. You know, you could sell access to your API. Like there's any number of, in, in the era of let's, let's use a buzzword here of API first, right? Development where, you know, my entire front end app is just hitting some other API that is surfacing all that functionality. I, I think that, you know, these things come back to like, I, I can't be certain that it's only my front-end web server that's hitting me now. Now I have to kind of account for everything. And any decisions I make in that single-page app, I have to be willing to live with um, anybody potentially hitting that in, um, in on the API tier. So, like, from that perspective, I think it does... There are things you can do at the edge if you just, you know, want to make sure that you are protected and, like, you can layer headers on, like... Um, Gosh, it's escaping me right now. There's like a standard XSS protection header that like Chrome and Edge use that is pretty common. I don't, I don't think I agree with vendor specific headers, but that's a whole nother discussion. You mentioned content security policy before. 
um, HSTS. Like there's like, you know, these things are standard. Like there's not a lot of configuration that's needed to them. You can, you can almost make a blanket statement for them. And so if you have to, you can layer them on the edge. I fundamentally disagree with it just because I think that um, you're kind of shifting the burden elsewhere in, in, um, to a layer that doesn't have as much understanding as, uh, of your use case in your application. But, um, you know, there are, I, I agree with you though, Kenneth, there are standard things that, you know, we can just blanket statement across the board, say these things should be in place and you can append them on, you know, whether that be on your web server or on your CDN even, you know, so. Well, you say you agree with me, but I disagree with you on a couple of things. One is, um, or maybe I disagree. Maybe I'm looking at it through a different lens, but like, I think that two things, you could layer them on the, on the edge for sure. Um, uh, even with, without the context of what's behind the application, if you have that policy, you know, corporate wide, right? So that, and I think that where you get into danger, especially with CSP, is that you can also make that policy completely open at the edge. And that can be your standard policy, right? And so you make that open enough, and then they, that pushes the responsibility on the engineering team, especially if for a usability that reason they decided we're going to open this up to you know the this set of URLs or you know, we're going to pull in external JavaScript libraries or whatever it might be from Google or from our tracking application. And so they accept that risk. And so then it becomes the engineering team's responsibility to do that. The other thing uh, that you mentioned was when you talk about um, like publicly accessible APIs and that they're bringing the data in. So you have sort of have to, you know, you have to be willing to accept anything. Some public APIs will offset that responsibility to the implementer anyway and cover that in their in their own policy. So they sort of take the same stance that Simon was talking about where it's like as a backend developer API, you know, at a certain point, I give all the responsibility to you. And if you look at some of the bug bounty programs out there for API specific stuff for um, the one that comes to mind for me is like a Twilio or, you know, whatever they expose this API and they're saying, look, at a certain point, if you find a cross site scripting vulnerability and you're just saying that you're submitting a bug bounty that says, um, you know, there's no, it's reflecting the HTML back to me. They're going to say, right. And we're offloading that responsibility onto the implementer to handle the escaping appropriately. However, they, however they see fit. I mean, that's obviously one approach, right? Um, <laughs> I don't, I don't know that I agree with it though. Right. Because even if that's your stance as a business, right. You're fundamentally when, when something bad happens and if it's big enough, right, your name will be in that news article, right? It doesn't matter if you said, well, we told them it wasn't our responsibility. I mean, as a good citizen on the internet, right, if you're aware of these things, I would argue that you should do something about them, right? Regardless of whether or not you're trying to delegate that to your, um, you know, your customer, your end user, um, I, I think you have a responsible to your end user users, right? Potentially there um, to kind of create a secure API, because even if like, it's the same situation, I don't see it any different, right? Where Simon says, Hey, it's not a backend responsibility. It's a front end responsibility. 
in that case that you laid out, the company is effectively saying the same thing. And I, it's just, you know, I disagree with the stance. I think that if you have something, you know, on the internet, right, you should be securing it to the best of your ability. Um, and, and we mentioned cases before where like, it's going to be really hard, right? Like if you're WordPress, right, this is not an easy problem to solve. And like the vulnerabilities that exist in the wild are evident of that, right? Like we, I probably, I've, this is complete conjecture and baseless speculation, but I would probably <laughs> imagine that WordPress probably has the most XSS vulnerabilities of like any project out there, just based on the number of implementations of it, but also the fact that like they allow plugins, right? Like yeah. you, you have to trust other people's code inherently and like, you know, your core system just has to agree with that. So, I mean, I think we could have our own, we could have an entire episode on WordPress. So I don't want to. I don't want you to try to distract us from the issue too much by dangling the carrot, okay? But what I will say is, so how would you, so in the case of something, you know, made up application like Twilio that's maybe accepting numerical values, phone numbers, uh, a name, an address, things of that nature, how do you, as that organization, determine? what is safe enough for your end users right because to to a certain point you're like well you know i will i i'm going to i'm going to make sure everything is sanitized af right it's going to come in i'm going to remove all the special characters you're restricted to like the alphabet and some numbers don't you think that that would have a negative impact on your user base Probably yes. And what I'm thinking about now is Twilio does a lot of plugins as well. So this is probably an inherently hard problem to solve, but I think Twilio yes. is a bad example. Yes, it is. It's, I yes, mean, yeah, it this is. is all nuanced, right? This is always going to be nuanced because, you know, there are legitimate cases where you need this type of behavior, right? Like in the best, I guess you can do is to sanitize it as much as you can. But like, to your point, eventually you are going to limit business capability, um, but I think Twilio is a bad example. <laughs> no, there are that. no bad examples. I think that if, if I do anything in this episode, I want you all to put on my shoes for a day and just sort of be like, well, okay, I've covered 90% of, of the problem, but there's going to be that 10% where someone's like, you know what? This is going to cost us $10 million if we can't have commas and addresses. You know, and like that is that is the fight for security. So we try to develop tools and do whatever we can and do a lot of the consulting work to try to make this as automated and as, you know, transparent as possible. But there's only so far that we can go before someone is like, you know what, like that is going to be a problem for me. I need a way to disable it or I need I need you to, you know, not be so restrictive. And if you provide someone with the ability to disable something, then when it comes down to like the nitty gritty, if someone needs to use that and it's part of the framework to disable a security feature in order to get through debug or in order to do some testing or whatever it might be, that's going to happen. It's absolutely going to happen. And so I think the trend that I really love right now is that in front end uh, frameworks like React, uh, and we mentioned this in the in the uh, in the pre-show a little bit, is it's like 
I can't remember what the exact method is, but it always makes me think of like, you will disable security when you implement this method, open paren, untrusted data, close paren, right? It's very obvious that you're typing something that's like, I might second guess what I'm doing right now. And it also makes it easy for security to go in and like look for the method that is very blatantly a security feature being disabled and be able to go and say, you know, did you not understand what this was doing? <laughs> you know, it's pretty clear. I'm going to try to find a thing in React right now because I, I think that that's a good method because it's almost like this soft touch. You can disable it. Here it is. But you're aware of what you're doing as you're doing it, as opposed to what we talked about before with like HTML safe. You were like, is it making it safe? Is it, do I know that it's safe? So I'm putting it in this method. I, I love that trend as well. It, it definitely forces you to like type in the words, I shouldn't be doing this on your keyboard and double checking that. And, and that, that gives product engineers the power and the information to turn this into no longer a security conversation, but a product conversation. You can talk with your product team and say, we have a compromise to make. We can either negatively impact the user experience in a certain way, which you can get sign off on, or we can build trust with our users. And and I, I think, yeah, that that trend makes that conversation so much easier. Yeah. The, the actual thing is dangerously set inner HTML. Yes. That is amazing. Yeah. Um, you could literally search for danger in GitHub. Yeah, exactly. Danger, you know? <laughs> um, so look, I mean, Jameson thought this was going to be a pretty easy topic, but uh, I think we we're we're making it we're making it past the, the half hour mark. I will. And I and we've talked at length about it. I think I've got you. I've got you all, you know, um, on my side. A little bit here. Um, evangelizing. Definitely do. <laughs> but uh, any any like la last minute questions or you know you want to go for another hour on something else <laughs> that uh that comes up around cross-site scripting or how to look at it or you know what even what protections are available for these different types of um attacks i i just personally really appreciate you know being in your shoes for a half hour uh approaching this from a business perspective and a product perspective definitely makes makes it more engaging for me so uh, i appreciate having that that theme kind of encompass something that is really just like clean data yeah jameson anything from you no i mean it's definitely uh it's an interesting problem um i i understood it was nuanced i guess i didn't understand how nuanced it was until we, we kind of chatted through it here um but yeah i, I mean always appreciate the perspective of getting uh you know getting to live in in your shoes uh to understand the security aspects more <laughs> well we're gonna turn it around eventually so um we'll jump in each other's shoes and try to do episodes of that nature um but that wraps it up for this episode on cross-site scripting defenses and you know sort of bringing it all together and um how to how to look at those, how to approach those. And I think it ties really well in together uh, to our last episode around, you know, understanding the product and um, working with your project managers or scrum masters to to get you know what you need from a security perspective or DevOps perspective or engineering perspective into the product 
uh, in that way from the, you know, bringing all the teams together perspective. I used the perspective like a million times in the last 30 seconds, but that's my perspective. Uh, that wraps it up for this episode. Um, as always, if you want to reach us, you can hit us on Twitter at R2DSO. Uh, you can go to our website, which Jameson uh, brought to my attention, has a bad SSL certificate. And um, oh, I man. think that that's going to be intentional and we're going to fix it all together. So you can hit that at www.r2dso.com and you won't be the first to find that vulnerability. Um, but, you know, we'll we'll get that taken care of. Uh, I'd tell you to trust us, but, you know, trust but verify. Uh, but as always, if you want to uh, send any questions, recommendations, feedback, you can reach us at security at r2dso.com. Thanks, everyone, for listening, and we'll see you next time.